Good morning, Foothill. Today's scripture is found in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised that you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is God's word. Well, good morning, Foothill Church. Uh, happy 4th of July weekend also to you. Hope you had a fun time celebrating that with your family. Uh, thank you to Kathy for reading that. And again, yeah, good morning, everyone. My name is Brian Martinez. I'm the students minister here at Foothill Church. And uh, I'm so excited to be with you virtually, wherever you are, and to walk through the word with you this morning. Well, like Kathy read, we're in 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 through 6. And uh, while we start, I have a question for you guys. So here's my question. Why is it so hard to break a bad habit? Why? Uh, maybe you have a bunch of different bad habits in your life, ranging from uh, not working out, from eating too much, from sleeping in, from going to bed too late. Why is it so hard for us to change these bad habits? Uh, I'm not an expert on this, but I've read some stuff, and one could argue it's because uh, effectively you're trying to change your nature. And that's, that's hard, right? That's a hard thing to do to change your nature, to change who you are at your core level. Uh, especially if these urges are unhealthy, right? There's like these urges, everything in your soul is telling you to do this thing, and it feels like most of the time these urges are unhealthy things. It's like they start as bad habits, and then they turn into these core elements of our identity. Uh, things like uh, really kind of you know, innocuous things like, hey, I'm not a morning person, right? What starts out as maybe just a simple desire to sleep in a little bit in the morning turns into one of the foundations of how you understand yourself as a person. It's so rooted in who you are that you start planning out your whole life based on how you can sleep in. Uh, I left high school early. Uh, I didn't drop out. I left it for like an early college program purely so I could start classes that started at 11 a.m. Like I told my mom, it was so I could get a head start on my future, but 100% it was so that I could sleep in every morning because college classes start way later. Or uh, maybe there's another one, right? Maybe like, oh, I hate running, I hate exercising. And what started out as maybe like a half joke in gym class turns into kind of a mantra for you. So it's so ingrained in who you are that the, just the thought of working out feels impossible because that's our nature. That's how we understand ourselves. That's who I've learned I am is I am not a morning person. I am not an exercise type person. Or maybe I'm just naturally kind of an angry person. Or you know what? Everyone in my family has been a drinker. I'm also a drinker. I've been drinking since I was 15 years old, maybe you think. Like, that's just how I am. Or maybe I'm always going to be somebody with low self-control. This is just who I am. This is my nature. But what if you want to change? Right? What if you recognize that, hey, maybe it's not healthy for me to have this habit, this fallback of drinking. Maybe it's not healthy for me to be a gossip or healthy for me to be so uh, low on self-control. How do you change? 
And all sorts of books are written about this, right? Is it just a game of willpower? How do you change your nature? And I think that's the question of today's passage. And Peter answers that question this morning by actually answering a different question. He's going to say, look, you do not change your nature. That's impossible. You cannot change your nature. It's impossible for you to do that. Instead, you combat your old sinful nature, which is actually our main point for the morning. If you're taking notes, it's this. Use truth to combat your old sinful nature. Let me explain. So if you're taking notes, here's the first point. It's going to sound kind of repetitive. Christians are free from their old sinful nature. Okay, so here's the thing. How do we change our nature? Peter's going to say, you don't change it, you combat it. So this is what we need to understand. You are free from your old sinful nature. Look at verse 1. Look at what he says. It says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay, there's a, there's a lot in that sentence that we have to unpack. So first, he says the word therefore, which means we can't just pick this up as its own uh, single section. We have to look at the context, right? He says therefore, which means he's concluding a thought from the previous passage. So what's the context? What have we been in? Well, for a while now, Peter has been talking about the idea of suffering. Remember, he says since Christ suffered, Christians will also suffer for their faith. We're even going to suffer for things like doing good. But now he's going to talk about a different kind of suffering. He says a weird phrase. He says, suffering in the flesh, which nobody says that in, in normal speak, right? We're not like, hey, buddy, how are you? Oh, I'm just suffering in the flesh, right? We don't know. That's not a normal phrase we use. So what does that mean? Well, that might be kind of confusing because if you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard that term flesh. And typically when we say that word flesh, we're talking about our sinful nature, right? Like cast off the flesh, cast off your sinful nature, but he says Jesus also suffered in the flesh. So is Peter saying that Jesus sinned? That Jesus had a fleshly nature in that sense, that Jesus was a sinner? No. We have to use the Bible to interpret the Bible, right? If the whole Bible says that Jesus was free from sin, Jesus was perfect, Jesus never sinned, then we know that's not what Peter's saying here. He's referring to something else. So what is the other possible meaning? Well, suffering in the flesh means literally the flesh on earth as a human. So what Peter is saying here is like, hey, Jesus suffered in the flesh. Jesus was a human. He was 100% man while 100% God here on earth. And he lived out a human life filled with struggles, filled with suffering. But he didn't just live out any life, right? He lived out a life for the gospel. He suffered for the sake of God's will. And so then Peter says, hey, whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Whoever has done this has ceased from sin. And I think this is what he's saying here. He's not saying, okay, now you live a perfect life, but there is a clear change. To suffer in the flesh means you suffer a human life. You suffer because you're living out the gospel. And to suffer in the flesh means you deny your old way of living. Well, you cease to let sin reign in your life. And the New Testament is filled with this language to help us understand this, right? It says things like the old man is dead and we are alive in Christ. See, here's the thing we have to understand as Christians. If you're a Christian, 
If you've been saved, if you know Jesus, if you're walking with him, then you're not trying to change your old nature. Christ has already done that. Your old nature is already dead. You're already not a sinner. You're a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So that means the old nature, the old person, died on the cross with Christ. Therefore, we live differently than we did because we know Jesus. However, and here's where I think Peter's getting at. Here's the, the difference between change your nature and combat your old nature. We still feel temptation, do we not? We cease from sin, right? Yeah, we're not living the same way. We're a new creation. Yet, we still feel the call of the old life every single day. In fact, the Bible says that even Jesus faced temptation while he was here on earth, while he was facing the sufferings of living in a broken world. So what do we do? What are we supposed to do? If we're a Christian now and we're a new nature, how do we react when we're faced with temptations, with sin, with thoughts of the old life, with this desire to go back to our old ways? What do we do? Well, Peter answers that. He says that we arm ourselves with the same way of thinking as Jesus. So again, we don't change our nature. We're a new creation, but we fight against the old nature. If you're a Christian, you have to know this. You're going to hear temptation. You're going to feel this. And so we're called to combat it. We're called to fight. And how do we do that? He gives us the answer here with the same thinking of Jesus. So let me ask you a question. How do you think, Christian, when you're battling with your old nature, when you have a temptation, when something kind of comes in your mind, how do you think? What is your thinking process like? So when you're home alone for hours because of quarantine and you're all alone and you start feeling the temptation of lust again, you start having all these thoughts come at you, do you start to feel overwhelmed? Do you start to feel defeated? Do you start to think this is just what it's going to be? I'm just going to go back. Or how about this? What about when you've had a long day at work or a long day at home and your spouse comes home and they say something rude to you after you just went through all sorts of things that they have no idea about? And they say something that just makes you so mad. What is your thinking process like? Do you immediately start justifying your anger and justifying your sin and thinking, man, if they just knew, if they just pushed me a little bit harder, I'm going to explode. Do you start thinking and this is just how it's going to be? How do you tend to think when temptation comes your way, when there's struggles, how do you think about it? And now here's the question. How should we think about it? Because make no mistake, the battle against your urges, against your old nature, is truly a battle. It's not easy. We all know this, right? There's all sorts of sins and past things that we struggle with that are going to have this kind of foothold. So how do we battle that? I think the answer is we need weapons, right? If it's a war, we need weapons. And what are those weapons? They're truths. Truths that we need to have memorized. Truths that we need to have so close that we can grab them and hold on to them. So when we're struggling, when we're filled up with emotions, those things are close and they're ready for us to grab and say, nope, that's a lie, this is true. And it helps us combat our old sinful nature. We need truths that we can hold on to. Uh, think of it like this. I don't, I don't do rock climbing. Um, I, I, if you do that, that's, I think that's incredible. I think that's amazing, but I just, I can't understand why somebody would want to do that. But think of rock, think of it like this, like rock climbing. Think of it like you're climbing a rock wall with these handles, right? You're climbing up something really steep and you have these handles to hold on to, something to provide you with purchase. And that's what these truths are. These simple, firm handles of truth we have to bring us through when the suffering gets too hard. And so what I want to do for the rest of the morning 
is I want to look at four of these truths, four of these handholds, four of these weapons that we have in the face of temptation, in the face of suffering with our old nature. Okay, so here's the first truth. First one, you live for God's will now, not your urges. You live for God's will, not your urges. Look at verse two with me. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So this first truth, again, goes back to what we were saying. It addresses who we are as Christians. Remember, we're not trying to change our nature. That's been done. We're combating it, which means that's not who we are anymore. And this is what Peter is saying. Hey, Christian, you don't have to chase your old passions anymore. It may feel like you need to go back to your old sinful ways, but you actually don't have to. You are free from it because it's not who you are anymore. And look, when we say things like passions, maybe that kind of confuses us. So let's define that term real quick. By passions, Peter isn't talking about your passion for sports or dance or, you know, long-form improv comedy, right? He's talking about these base human urges like lust and anger and greed and drunkenness. These things that we've been battling with for a long time. And Peter says, you're not a slave to those urges anymore, right? Right? You know, in, in the media and movies, we see, oh, all people have these base urges. We're just animals. And Peter's like, that's not true. That is not who you are. And so we need that reminder of our identity, especially when we're tempted to give in. Look, I think sometimes when we're facing particularly strong temptation, which for, you know, it could be anything, maybe for you, it's laziness. Maybe this season has been so hard to be motivated to do something, you just kind of reverted into this slum of laziness and it's so hard for you to get out of that haze. And so whatever that temptation is, I think sometimes we view ourselves like zombies. And this is what I mean. I'm not a huge zombie fan, uh, but I've seen, I've seen movies. And in every zombie movie, I feel like there's always a scene where the main character has a loved one who gets turned into a zombie, right? And then the zombie starts chasing the main character and they cower in a corner and that zombie's going to eat them. But the main character keeps trying to appeal to their human nature, right? So it's like, oh, Rebecca, please. I know you're still in there. Rebecca's not in there anymore. Rebecca is a zombie. And so that's what the movie's trying to say. Rebecca's not there. Rebecca's dead. She's given in to these urges. Well, Peter's saying, hey, you're not Rebecca. You're not a zombie. You're a Christian. And we get this idea that sometimes these urges are so strong, so powerful that we just have to give in to them. My anger is burning. I'm going to explode and yell at my kids. I'm so stressed. I'm going to have another drink more than I should. And Peter's saying, you're a Christian. You're not a slave to those urges, to those passions anymore. Instead, you seek God's will. Remember your identity now. You follow his will for your life, not your own urges. Truth number two. You will hear lies, but you don't have to believe them. You're going to hear lies, but you don't have to believe those. So look at with me in, uh, in verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So... We need to look at the context again, right? The historical context. What is happening? Well, Peter is writing to Gentiles, non-Jewish people mostly, uh, who are in a culture that is not friendly to Christianity. And he tells them to pursue Jesus and to live their old sinful life behind. To give up things that they've been doing their whole life. Old habits out of no place in the kingdom of God. And notice his argument here. He says, for the time that is past suffices. 
This is what he's saying. He's like, hey guys, maybe you've lived a life of drunkenness. Maybe you lived a life chasing orgies, but now that is over. The time in your past is more than enough for that. You don't need to give it any more time or give it any more practice. The time that has passed suffices. Now, why would Peter say this? I think it's to fight the temptation of the good old days, right? The thoughts like this, hey, remember when you just slept in on Sunday mornings? Remember before you went this whole Christian thing and you just slept in, you just watched the game? Or remember when you went to parties, right? You had all those really good times with your friends. You haven't talked to those people in forever. Remember how much fun you had? They were like your brothers, right? Don't you miss that? Or remember all those old movies and games that you used to watch, all those things that you've kind of given up since you've been a Christian? What if, for old time's sake, you just went to one more party where you partied really hard again? What if you just watched one more of those movies that you know you probably shouldn't? What if you just shirked this life again for your old time's sake? You know, and you start thinking, like, oh, it's not going to be a habit. You know, it's just a taste. Everything's good in moderation, right? And, and that's a lie. And that's just one example of how temptation works. It operates on lies, You start getting attacked by these thoughts and more and more and more, they start making sense. And Christian, you need to be aware of that. I don't know if we are, but we need to be aware that you are going to be lied to. That is how the enemy operates. He's the father of lies. And so he's going to attack you by sending lies, sending these thoughts. And if we don't combat those, then we're going to start giving into them and thinking they're true and start rationalizing, going back to our old nature. If it doesn't match with scripture, it's not true, right? Sometimes we dupe ourselves into thinking that everything that comes to our heads is right, but that's not biblical. Second Corinthians 10, four through six says this, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You're going to hear lies. You don't have to listen to them. You need to recognize that it's a lie, that it's a temptation, and take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. And here's another lie that you're likely to hear. This is culturally acceptable. We're supposed to adapt to the culture, right? I have freedom in Christ. It's okay for me to do this. The list of things that Peter named here is very likely not a random list. It's very likely based off of cultural celebrations that the people in the area would do. See, they would put on these lavish celebrations of of other gods and of the emperor and take part in all these hedonistic activities. And this was seen as patriotic as pledging the flag is for us, right? If you didn't take part in these um, hedonistic festivals and these sinful activities, then you were seen as an unpatriot. This is weird that you didn't do this. This was normal to them. This was as normal as maybe getting drunk at a wedding or maybe talking bad about your wife at happy hour or gossiping about your boss. That's normal, culturally acceptable stuff that we make fun of, that we make light of. And Peter was reminding them, though, that you don't belong to this culture anymore. You're a citizen of heaven now. And the same applies to us. So let me ask you a question. What sins... Are you harboring in your life? What old natures, what old ways are you keeping because they're culturally acceptable? Because you won't get flack for it from your boss or from your family. Because everybody else seems to do it, but you know that the Bible has a stance on it. What are those things in your life? Are you following the culture of the world? Or are you following your new citizenship as a citizen of heaven? 
So this is my, my call to us and my call to myself. Learn to recognize the lies that you hear about your sin and learn how to refute them with truth. Okay, this is truth number three. You will suffer for your faith. You will suffer for your faith. Uh, in, in everything in life, it's good for you to know what you're getting yourself into before you, before you do that thing, right? It's always good to know, okay, what am I getting myself into here? Uh, well, I, I've had a truck since high school, almost, almost 10 years now I've had a truck, and uh, man, I, I love it. I love my truck. Uh, F-150, it's got a really big uh, crew. It's, it's, a, it's a good truck. I've had it for a long time, and I remember when I first got it, I was so excited about it. Because I was saying, I was like, man, this thing is going to be perfect for camping. I can get my buddies together. We can load up everything in the back. There's enough room for six of us. We can drive up to the mountains. We can go camping. It's going to be awesome. And I kept thinking about that. Well, I've had the truck for about 10 years, and I've taken it camping about two times. Um, but you know what I have done with the truck over and over and over again? I've helped people move. <laughs> uh, I've helped people move. And I'm not really complaining here. I, I like helping people move. It's, I think it's, it's fun. It's a good thing to do with the truck. But when I got the truck, I had literally no idea what I was getting myself into. I had no idea that I was opening my own private and free moving business, right? If you have a truck or if you have a friend who has a truck, you know what I'm talking about. It's just part of the reality. When you have a truck, people will call you and ask you to help them move their pianos. So you just need to be ready for that. You need to be ready. If you're going to get a truck, unless you want to make it a secret to your whole community, be ready for people to call you. That's just the reality of it. That's the reality of owning a truck. And in the same way, if you're a Christian, if you're pursuing Christ in your life, then you need to know what you're getting yourself into. You need to know that the reality of a Christian's life, there's no way around this, is you will be persecuted for your faith. Now, if you're truly following him, it's going to be a reality. It just comes with the territory of being a Christian. It's going to happen. Now, are you going to be hunted down? Are you going to get beaten and possibly killed? In America, probably not, right? That stuff still happens in other parts of the world, but in America, that's, it's not really the case. However, that doesn't mean that we're off the hook for any kind of persecution. Not at all. Look again at verse 4. With respect to this, to, to shirking the old sins, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. This is what Peter's saying. Because you don't take part in your old way of life, in the culture, they're surprised. It doesn't make any sense to them. And so what do they do? They malign you. And that word malign in the Greek is where we get our word blaspheme. And so think of it like words we would use are like revile or hate speech or attack. So maybe your life won't be at stake, but I can guarantee you that there's going to be some friction in some sense. As Christianity becomes less and less culturally viable, we're going to get everything from weird looks to active persecution, right? And this could be maybe you get passed up uh, for a job, for a promotion. Maybe you lose some friends. Maybe your family kind of kicks you out of the family a little bit. And why? Because they don't understand Right? How can this lead to such terrible character assassinations? It's because they're surprised. What's really interesting is that word surprised in the Greek isn't really surprised. That word is closer, it's, it's like hospitable. And so the idea here is them saying, hey, we were hospitable to you. Like you were at the table with us. You were one of us. We accepted you as one of our own, but now you're something different. You're, you're not like us anymore. And, and that's hurtful 
but it's true. If we're leaving behind the old nature, then we have a new purpose. We have a new God. And so that friction is going to come. And here's the thing. Probably one of the hardest things, Christian, that you're going to have to face is being misunderstood. Right? It may sound kind of not like that big of a thing. It maybe sounds like a high school problem. But none of us likes to be misunderstood. None of us likes to be acclaimed as something that we're not. Look, these, these first century Christians, people called them cannibals because of communion. People said that they hated humanity because they wouldn't join in these celebrations. If you just follow biblical Christianity, what are you going to be called? What are you going to be misunderstood as? What are people going to think about you? They may call you some really harsh names. They may treat you in some ways that you don't deserve to be treated. And so what do we do? How do we respond to that? Because nobody wants to be misunderstood. Nobody wants to feel like that. And so our first uh, urge there is to respond in anger, maybe to, to kind of show them that they're wrong, but that's not what Peter says. What do we do? Well, look at verse five. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Let me, let me explain that. Sounds like it's out of left field, but this is what Peter's saying here. First off, don't seek revenge. When people start persecuting you in whatever way, when you start feeling that friction because you're a Christian, don't seek revenge. Peter says this. He reminds them, yeah, they're telling lies. They're being unfair. Maybe they're even killing you, but don't worry about it. He says, don't worry about your justice. God sees this. He is in this. And he says this, an account one day will be given. Just as you're standing today before their judgment, they are going to stand before God and his judgment. Now pause, why does Peter say this? Because I don't think what Peter is saying is, oh, forget them. You know, they're being a jerk to you. Well, one day they're going to stand before God and they're going to burn. And so you just wait for that day and you let your anger burn towards them. I don't think that's why Peter is saying this. This verse is literally right in the middle of Peter telling us how to respond to people, right? The section right after that, he's going to tell us about how to love other people. And that's the whole call as a Christian is to love people. So no, I don't think Peter is reminding us of their coming judgment uh, for the sake of us getting angry. I think he's reminding that for our sake to be compassionate towards them. He's saying, hey, just as you stood before God's judgment before Christ came and changed your life and changed your nature, so will they. So don't go attack them. Don't get angry at them. Be compassionate for them. Love them. Pray for them because they are just as dead as you were before Jesus. So you need to preach to them. You need to serve them. And here's my last point, and I'll end with this. Last point, last truth. It will all be worth it. Look at verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judge in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So Peter closes everything by comforting, consoling, and encouraging these weary Jesus followers. They've lost friends, family, status. They've been persecuted. And now on top of all that suffering, they're going against their very natures. All these things that came so natural to them, they have to, to push these things aside, their old nature. And so they're suffering, it feels, on every kind of level. And if we're honest, being a Christian can feel bleak sometimes, right? Being a Christian does not mean having a perfect life here on earth. And so this is why we need to constantly remind ourselves of the ultimate truth. It is worth it to know and to follow Jesus. 
whatever suffering we're facing, whatever persecution, whatever just suffering from our own temptations that we're facing, it is all worth it for knowing Jesus. These were people in that time who, um, or there were probably people in that culture who pointed to Christians and said like, why are you doing this? You're dying. Christians before you have died, you're treated like dogs for a God that we don't even see. Why are you doing this? And Peter says, it's worth it. Look at what, uh, what Paul says in Philippians 3.8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish as I may, in order that I may gain Christ. And so Peter says this, the gospel was preached to those. Yeah, they were dead. There are people, there's Christians who are dead now, and it was preached to them. Just like everybody one day will die, right? We can all agree on this. Everybody one day is going to die, but the ones who took the gospel, their faith was not in vain. They now live in the spirit the way God does. It was worth it for them. And it's not just this future thing, one day things, things are going to be better, but it's worth it here and now for us. We have truth. We have peace beyond understanding in him. And so remember these truths. Memorize these things. This is why we need to memorize scripture because we need to have this easy access for us. When we fall into temptation, talk about these things with your families. Parents, talk about these truths. Get your students, get your kids to understand this and to memorize this. Put this in context. Think, okay, when you face this temptation, when you face this thought, what are you going to counter with, right? Teach it like spiritual self-defense. Be ready for these attacks. Because thinking focused and centered on the character and work of Christ, this is our reason for hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you were good, and we thank you, God. Christ, we thank you that, that you suffered. You suffered for us. You lived a life of suffering, and you were not uh, showing an idle eye to, uh, to our suffering. And Lord, as we do this, I pray that you would help, it, help us. I pray that you would make it clear and show us the truths that we have, the truths that we need to use to combat uh, these sins and combat these temptations. We love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.